Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. This is Everything Under the Sun, brought to you by the youth leadership at Door Church. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Everything Under the Sun. We are chasing the number 40, and we've chased it all the way through the book of Exodus into the book of Numbers, and we are at Numbers chapter 14. And uh, we are chasing the number 40 there. So if you know your Bible, you know that the children of Israel are going to go into a period of 40 years in the desert. And there's also another number 40 tucked in here as well. But whenever you see the number 40, like we've been talking about, it's never good. Um, Whether you're talking about the destruction of the earth in a flood, or you're talking about Moses taking a detour, or anything, wherever you see the number 40, um, usually there's there's going to be some pain involved or a battle or something, or it's going to be really long, not good. So, spoiler alert, Numbers chapter 14 is actually the epitome of the number 40. So we're going to jump right into it, and Phil's going to start us off. I think it's important before I read, um, just to give a little bit of context um, for Numbers 14. Um, so the end of chapter 13 kind of starts out whereas Moses is leading the people um, into the promised land and before they go in they send out spies um, spies into the promised land and that's when the spies encounter um, both the blessings that is, is in this land but also they encounter the descendants of Enoch which are essentially giants and the children of Israel said We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we pick up in verse 1 of Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader to, and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly and of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jethnan said that wrong, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And the congregation said to, said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So there's a lot to unpack here, um, but one reoccurring thing that we see um, when the children of Israel have just been delivered from Egypt and they're in the wilderness and not even a couple months or like a small portion of time, they already say, let's go back to Egypt. And then we see this again when they're at Mount Sinai and they're being abandoned. They're like, you know what? What's well, Moses has deserted us. Let's go back to Egypt. And then now, as they're about to enter the promised land that they have spied out, and some people have given good reports saying that this is a land that flows with milk and honey, they say, you know what? The obstacles are too great in front of us. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to being enslaved. Um, and this, this is something that I have seen over and over with people. Um, I've also seen it in my own life is we sometimes look at the past with rose-colored glasses and we do not understand that the bondage that we were in was oppressive and horrible. And we think, you know what? Oh my gosh, the food was so amazing back then. You know, the children of Israel are like, oh, the, the grain that we ate there. And no, you were slaves. And we in our own lives, I know I in my own life, have had to check myself and be like, you know what? The things that God has given me now are so much better and so much greater and so much richer than anything that I forsook when I turned away from my sin and repented. 
You know what? It, it you bring up a real good point because it reminds me every time I see buddies of mine that aren't serving God and yeah. that I used to, you know, uh, I don't want to sound too churchy, be in the world, but you know, before I gave my life to Christ, you always, you know, they always tend to bring up stories like, "Hey, remember when we did this? Hey, remember that time when you know we went this place and we were doing this?" Right, and they take you back to those good times. You know, you're just like, oh man, that's true, bro. It was so funny. You know, we had a blast and things like that. But then they leave it at that, right? They never be like, hey, remember when you know you were depressed and wanted to commit suicide? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, remember when mm, yeah. you know yeah. you almost died of the overdose? Remember when you were tripping out and you know? So it's like, Phil, last uh, last podcast you talked about human nature. And that's human nature right there for you is when you remember Egypt, you remember the food, you remember the good times, but it's like the devil does that on purpose. He puts that, hey, remember how good you felt? You had free will. You could do this. You could do that, right? And you're just like, hey, you know what? That's true. You know, but never mind everything else and why you came to Christ and what Christ took you out of. So that's what the people of Israel were were uh, essentially, you know, uh, being told or being lied to about. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting. I also, thinking of this, there is such a great reward in the, the promised land. Like, they say that this land is a land that flows with milk and honey. So a very, very fertile place, a place that you would want to inhabit. But the desert is not protected because there's nothing there. The desert is a place that nobody's going to defend because there's nothing there of value. But when you're about to enter into something that has value, it's going to require a struggle and a fight. This is a human, this is a principle, and it's a biblical principle, like the principle of reaping and sowing. Like you have to put in the work in, or, in order to gain that like blessing and that um and to receive that reward. Uh, and I see this a lot in people's lives where they're saying, you know what, like it was so good back then when we were just eating ramen and just sitting on the couch. But now that I've got a job, I got to go to that job. And like they don't see it as the struggle brings the reward. Like because this is hard, thus like it means that it's something that's valuable a lot of times. I, and I feel like the children of Israel, they come against this anytime they come against a struggle or they don't know what's going on or they see things like giants in front of them, they say, you know what? This is too hard. Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back. Let's regress back to the thing that's easy as opposed to pushing forward into the will of God. You know what? In the previous chapter, um, I'm not sure what translation this is because it's, but it says what God promised about the land is true. Nevertheless, right, so that's a key word right there. What God said to us yeah. is true, but the natives of the land are too big. They're too mighty. They're giants. Yeah. And we cannot overcome them despite what God has promised. Hmm. So they themselves are saying, hey, even though God said this, still this. Nevertheless, right, despite what God has promised to us, you know, we're still going to choose to not believe that and believe the reports of these spies, even though God already said it, right? And God's not a liar. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that God had guaranteed, hey, this is guaranteed for you guys. And they acknowledged it, but yet they, you know, they, they chose not to believe it. I think the problem with nostalgia is that you just, like you guys are talking about, you remember what you want to remember. It's that app that pops up the picture with the music and the slow-mo never mind like you had heartburn when that picture was taken but you're laughing you know or whatever <laughs> yeah never mind like you know, you know you're behind on your rent or whatever but everybody was laughing in the picture so I mean, it must have been the greatest time of our life and that's the problem with memory is that it's depleted and only like the high points re- actually register it's like a bad recording so our memory is depleted. You only remember the super high points the super low points but we trust our memories like if you know it actually are worth anything back in chapter nine it talks about this is the first passover they celebrated outside of egypt so they've only been out for like a year yeah and all of a sudden you know it's like hey that was the greatest time of our leeks and onions my god like they've been in the <laughs> desert too long yeah <laughs> i think um 
a great guard is always um, gratitude, right? And so being grateful for what God has brought you out yes. of. And so you gotta, you always have to have that perspective. Never like the kind of gratitude that says, you know what? Like you saved me from Egypt. If you didn't do another good thing for me, you're still God. Never yeah. mind that God is promising them the land. Like they could have just been, there was never, you know, remember when we were crying out to the Lord and it went up to him? And then he brought us out of that place. Yeah. You know, you never hear that come out of their mouths. And maybe yeah. that was the uh, feeling of some people in the congregation. We kind of see that in Joshua and Caleb. You know, I'm sure that they had uh, gratitude, as did some others. But I see that as the if we're talking about coming against the rose colored glasses and the nostalgia, it's about gratitude and being like, you know what, God, you brought me out of so much. Yeah. You know, Baz Luhrmann, uh, the Hollywood director, Baz Luhrmann, had a great quote about nostalgia. He said, nostalgia is the fine art of taking the past, sanding off the ugly spots, painting over the bad parts, and then selling it for more than it's worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really good. That's, really good. <laughs> That's it right there. I knew somebody had a great quote about that. <laughs> but also, you, you look, uh, Pastor Smith had an epic sermon two years ago at YCON. Shout out YCON. Identify. <laughs> um, and he talked about Is how... Grapes and grasshoppers? Grapes yeah. and grasshoppers, you, you know, uh, ep, uh, mm-hmm. landmark sermon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he talked about when we start seeing ourselves through the enemy's eyes, we are grasshoppers in their sight. The truth is, is when you start seeing yourself through the eyes of the enemy you've already lost but also you know, we could take it another step further it's like even in the eyes of god were grasshoppers but they weren't wanting to see it through the eyes of god they just wanted to see it through the eyes of anak but if you take it through the eyes of god all of y'all are grasshoppers so i mean what they're saying is god thanks for nothing you took us out here to die and we don't trust you anymore because there's giants and apparently you didn't know that part and I think that's where we fail is when we think that God missed something like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, you brought me out of Egypt. Check. You're going to bring me into destiny. Check. But guess what? You forgot about the giant. So we're done. The truth is God hasn't forgot about anything. He sees it all. The only f- thing is, is that it was a, su- we were surprised. Therefore that's mm, like that's a cardinal good. sin. Yeah. I think you know, the, the, I mean, if you look at numbers, the first 10 chapters of numbers is God preparing them to enter into the promised land, yeah. right? He's teaching them how to be priests, teaching them about sparing judgment, right? All that. And then you come to this, and then it says that you know the people wept that night, yeah, right? So now they start crying because all of a sudden God's not making it, quote-unquote, easy for them, right, to enter into this promised land. So you got 10 chapters, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, this resistance, or if you want to call it resistance, right, this test or whatever you want to call it, and then they start crying, right? They let fear and unbelief grip their hearts. Yeah. So, Does anybody know how long it would have taken from a, a direct trip from Succoth to Awesometh? Like from Succoth to the promised land? <laughs> oh. um, I mean, well, that's the name of the town. That's the name of the town. They, from, so when, truth from, or Consequences? From, from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, Egypt, <laughs> to the promised land. Las Vegas. Was about, from Las Vegas, New Mexico, to the promised land would be about two weeks on foot with those, that many people. God takes them a little bit of the scenic route, so about a year out, and then he's going to take them into the promised land. So it should have taken two weeks. God says, all right, let's make it a year. And then it turns into 40 years. Which I, And I think this whole thing is super sad because we all know exactly how these people feel. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I, I'd like to, to talk about really quickly is you, you mentioned seeing yourself through the enemy's eyes, right? Okay. When the spies come back, and they're giving this report, the thing that the children of Israel said is really moving because they said, we are like grasshoppers in our sight. Like, not in their sight. They didn't see themselves truly through the enemy's eyes. Only their imagination of what the enemy would look at them like. Yeah. But when you look at the way God dealt with Gideon, right? Gideon was afraid. Gideon faced a superior army of highly trained individuals. And what God do? He said... Why don't you go see yourself through their eyes? Sneak into the camp, listen to the dream, right? These two guys are talking. They go, oh, man, dude, that horrible nightmare where everybody dies, that's got to be Gideon. The enemy knew him by name. Hmm. The enemy was afraid of him already, but Gideon didn't know that. His father knew what he was capable of, but Gideon didn't know. 
God had to show him himself through the enemy's eyes. But the danger is we look at the enemy's eyes from our eyes and we go, that's a big enemy. Therefore, I must be a small enemy. We don't say that's a big enemy, but I serve a bigger God. Well, you look at these guys' great-grandson, right? So the Philistines were actually a, a people group that came from, like, Cyprus and Greece and that area. But they still had their own giants. So Goliath is a giant. But you read the story of David and Goliath, and the more you read it, the more you look at it, you realize, like, I feel sorry for Goliath in that story. So the whole thing's a setup. It's a sting, yeah. right? Yeah. God is just kind of punking Goliath and punking the Philistines with this little boy. Um, because God is God, and even to God, a giant is a grasshopper. Yeah. And so when they lost sight of God, like you said, they lost sight of themselves. They lost sight of all reality. And they start flipping out like, you know what? We're done. All are, you know, we're going to die here. Let's talk about stoning Moses and Aaron. and Full-out rebellion. Yeah. Full-out yeah. rebellion. Yeah, that's what it is. Just mutiny. Before right. we move on, um, I was talking to somebody who said they read a rabbi who said the reason why they didn't want to go in is because they were so in tune with God in the desert. They were so needing God in the desert. They felt like if they went into the promised land, they would lose God, which is total rubbish, right? It's trash. <laughs> what a crock. Yeah. <laughs> it was full-on rebellion. It was full-on fear. Read everything they said, and we know exactly how they feel. So, J.R., words are... Uh, with the next portion. Oh, the next portion. Okay, we're going to start in verse 10. <clears throat> and it says, And the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? And I will strike them with pre pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater, greater and mightier than they. Hmm. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, have seen face to face, uh, and your cloud stands above them. And you will go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations will, um, which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people out of the land which he swore to them, therefore he has killed them in the wilderness so there's a there's a lot of stuff here even stuff similar that we've seen uh in other scriptures but i want to um what really stuck out to me is two ideas and i and i kind of think of these overall as we kind of wrap up this moses 40 40 40. um number one israel rejects and disbelieves i mean that's that's what it says in the scripture how long will they reject me and how long will they not believe me? And um, rejection puts them to shame. I wanna, I wanna do a plug for uh, Psalms 106, which does a really good encapsulation of what goes on with the children of Israel. And it says in verse 20, thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Hmm. And the rejection of the Lord for a calf, I mean, they, they did it for an animal that eats grass. So the rejection, puts them to shame. Also, rejection causes an, another to stumble, in this case, Moses. In, in the same chapter in verse 33, Psalms 106, 33, because they rebelled against his spirit, so he spoke rashly with his lips. Next, there's uh, disbelief in Deuteronomy 9:23. Likewise, the Lord sent you to Kadesh Barin, saying, go up and possess this land which I give to you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of your God, and you did not believe nor obeyed his voice. And um, they disbelieved God in general, but they also disbelieved the report. And I found this very interesting in connection with Romans where um, 10, 16, where it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for in Isaiah, it says, Lord, who has believed our report so that the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this is where Israel is at, is uh, disbelief and rejection. But this is contrasted constantly with Moses's simple faithfulness. That's good. God Moses's faithfulness not only to God but to God's people and to God's original plan 
because it says right here, um, with Moses and his faithfulness, uh, starting in Hebrews, it says, beware, brethren, lest any of you have an evil heart of unbelief. And this is actually in reference to this very scripture about rebellion. In departing from the living God, but exhort uh, one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And um, in Psalms 106, it says about Moses' own faithfulness. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. So we see a lot of the same argument that we actually saw in, in, la in our last podcast, which is what will, the, what will the people say about you? What will the Egyptians say? What will mm -hmm. the inhabitants of the land? So we've seen this argument already, but what really stuck out to me was Moses and his just faithfulness to what God was doing to God's people and to yeah. God's plan. And so you see the Israelites on one hand, their disbelief. And on the other hand, here's Moses, this father of faith who just, you know what? I'm sticking to what God originally said and we're going to do this. And you know, I, what I think is interesting is that God offers him, you know, he's like an offer you can't refuse just like he did back in Exodus. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like, hey, you know, let me let me try this again with you to see where you are, uh, and like it's just powerful the intercession Moses does for the people, even though they've done everything that they have. God has treated them good, showed them love, showed them mercy, showed them grace, right? And you, you know what? You should have left us back in Egypt to die, which God eventually grants their wish, right? Okay, but before that. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, even though they've done everything, uh, rebellion, you know, to the nth degree against God. So it almost shows that rebellion further down the road is worse than rebellion, like after the first couple of steps. Like you can understand their fear standing in front of the Red Sea, seeing the Egyptians coming down on them and freaking out. Like we read about them freaking out, and you totally understand it. Yeah. But then God does this little thing where the Red Sea opens up and all that stuff. The Egyptians are dead. Then he does this little thing. He brings them some quail. And you know, so all these miracles that he keeps showing them, miracle after miracle. And then they go into the promised land and they see everything that God said. And just kind of like a little detour here. The promised land, Israel, what we know today, and, and Jordan and, and, and Lebanon, as we know today, are not what it was at that point in history. I mean, the... It was the, most of the Fertile Crescent. Yeah, it was a Fertile Crescent. The planet was different. I mean, there was actual, what we call African lions, lived all the way southern Europe, all the way through that area down into Africa, the flora, the fauna, everything was different. And it was, it, it was an amazing place. Like, I don't think we can really wrap our brains around what, the, what it actually looked like as compared to what it looks like now. But now they're standing on the precipice of all of this and knowing who God is, seeing what God has done. They actually have precedent. They know what he's capable of. And, and they say, no, we're not going to do it because we all of a sudden we don't trust you. And I think that's, that's worse than the new convert backsliding off the altar. I think it's worse when you've walked with God for a time and you've seen a thing or two and then you say, you know what, God, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not you, it's me, or it's not me, it's you, it's whatever, but we're done. Like, I don't trust you anymore. There's something inherently super wrong about that. Yeah. You know, I, think in, in, I forget specifically the book, but Scripture says it would have been better for you to have not known me than to have known me. Yeah, right? reject and, me. And, um, you know, not follow my ways or something like that. I'm yeah. not quoting it. But it's, it goes in line with what you're saying, Pastor Gabe, is, you know, when you're a new convert or, you know, taking your baby steps and stuff like that, rebellion is a little different, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, rebellion is rebellion, but, uh, you know, these people weren't new converts. These people had experienced. Yeah, well, there's a so. difference between rebellion and ignorance. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Because when, when you march out of Egypt and God has delivered you with these 10 tremendous plagues, right? And then you get to the edge of the ocean and go, oh God, we're going to die. Right? You're just ignorant. You have no idea that what God has planned. You're just ignorant. But when you see God provide for you time and time and time again over the course of a year and not just provide for you, 
but you see thunderings and lightnings on a mountaintop. You see tablets that were carved by the hand of God and written in God's handwriting. You see Moses glowing from the Spirit of God so much you can't even look at him. He's got to wear a veil. Okay? You see all of this and then you reject God? No, you're not ignorant anymore. You're stupid. So let's move on to verse 28. It says, Tell them this. As surely as I live, Adonai swears, as surely as you have spoken in my ears, I will do this to you. Your carcasses will fall in this desert. Every single one of you who were included in the census over the age of 20, you who have complained against me will certainly not enter the land which I have raised my hand to swear that I would, that, that, that I would have you live in it, except for Kalev the son of Yefuna and Yeshua the son of Nun, but your little ones, the ones you said would be taken as booty, them I will bring in. They will know the land you have rejected, but you, your carcasses will fall in this desert, and your children will wander about the desert for 40 years, bearing the consequences in your pot, uh, of your prostitutions until the desert eats up your carcasses. It will be, for, uh, be a year for every day you spent recon uh, in reconnaissance in this land that you will bear the consequences of your offenses. 40 days, 40 years. Then you will know that it means that I, then you will know what it means to oppose me. I, Adonai, have spoken. I will certainly do this to this whole evil community who have assembled together against me, and they will be destroyed in this desert and die there. So uh, this is pretty harsh stuff. God says, you said you're going to die in this desert, and guess what? Yes, you are. So the takeaway is be careful what you say <laughs> because he's listening, right? Like you're complaining to me that, we're all going to die. Well, that wasn't true when you were saying it, but because that's what you believe, then I guess that's what's going to happen. He also goes on to say, for every day that you were checking out the land and looking at it, 40 days, I'm going to give you 40 years, and you're going to know what it means for me to turn against you. So what, the, what they're saying is, God, you brought us out here to kill us, God, you brought us out here because you're actually against us. And God said, no, I'm not. But because you're saying that and because you have set your heart that way, I'm going to show you what it means for me to be against you now. I'll, I'll show you what the meaning of your words are. Like um, when I was a kid, uh, when I was acting crazy, my old man would be like, you want a reason to cry? I'll give you a reason to cry. <laughs> and, and then I would get a reason to cry. And it's almost like God saying, hey, you guys, you know, you, you want to know what it's, you, you want to know what it feels like for, for me to be against you? Then let's do this. And many times, I, I'm speaking this out of, out of my own experience, some of the, the worst times in my life were brought on by me and they, it wasn't the devil. It wasn't necessarily sin, but it was the effects of what I was going through. And it was almost like I could feel um, God's hand in it, where I'm like, you know, this, is, this isn't just life being life. This isn't life just being trash. This is something God's here, mm -hmm. not in a good way, but he's here. And um, I think we would do well to find the hand of God, even in the bad times and say, God, is this you? Yeah. Is this, cause this is a little bit too thorough for anything else, anyone else. I think it's interesting that, you know, back in, um, I think like verse, like verse two, verse three, they basically accuse God of wanting to kill their children. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's ironic how, you know, okay, now your children are the ones that are going to inherit this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like the it's like the new man, right? Not the old man, the new man. And like basically saying, God's saying, okay, the old man, like bringing it home is I need to kill the old rebellious man in you, right? And bring forth a new man in order for you to step into that promised land. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I need to do away with the rebellion, the unbelief, everything that's hindered so far, the people entering, and guess what? The new man, your, your offspring, right, will be able to inherit uh, the promised land. So, That's good. This is, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because 
I think that this moment is really a shadow, a, a foreshadowing of the new covenant with Christ. Mm. Okay, it, because here's what we have in the New Testament. You live by faith and not by sight, right? It says, the old things pass away. Behold, all things are, have become new. So what we have here is an entire generation that saw God doing things. And God said, no, you guys don't get it. You don't understand. Because when you see things, you rationalize things. Okay, you assign logic to it, right? That's what happens. So then he raised up an entire generation of their children who had heard, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They had heard the word of God. They had heard what God had done, but they had never seen it. So they had to grip it by faith. So taking a step across the Jordan River with Joshua, that first moment was a tremendous act of faith. And when Joshua steps into the river and the river parts, and it says that the water stood still way upstream, okay, in that moment, the children knew. They knew that God was still on their side, and they knew that he was going to do miracles, and they had no idea what to expect. But now there was an anticipation because God was already moving, and all we were doing is walking into the land. But it was all claimed by faith. And I know it's not... Um like popular to, to drive this stuff home, especially in 2020, especially in, you know, kind of church culture now. But we would be, um, we wouldn't be right if we didn't. And the point is this, there, there are decisions in life and there's right choices and there's wrong choices mm. and there's consequences. And if I told you otherwise, I'd be a liar because I know exactly how that feels. I know how it is to make the wrong choice. And I know how it is to cry bitterly like Esau. And I know how it is to cry bitterly like Peter. And I know how it is to just just be like, you know, there's no going back. You can't unscramble this egg. Yeah. And you have a whole community of people that are, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs, throwing dirt in the air and, and, and trying to f make sense of what just happened in one afternoon. 400 and some odd years of slavery plus one year of travel is all down the drain in one afternoon because of the decision. So there's 10 men who said no, there's two men who said yes. One decision. And if you get, don't get anything out of this podcast, get that. One decision. Choices need to be made, and they need to be made correctly. Uh, Corey, go ahead and move on with the rest of the scripture. All right. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up the bad report of the, about the land died by a plague before the Lord. Of those men who went out to spy the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephna remained alive. When Moses told the words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. They rose early in the morning and they went to the heights of the hill saying, here we are. We will go to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned your back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although Moses and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. What we see here is what what I like to, to tell my kids is natural consequences, right? There are natural consequences in life. And when you make bad decisions, right, you violate your um, uh, covenant with God, you violate your commitment to God's laws, and, and uh, you violate uh, your conscience. There are consequences to that. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Right. And we think that that's kind of extreme. And I always did when I was a kid. I was like, and then the first time I sinned and I didn't die, I thought God was a liar. Right. And I'm just like, <laughs> wages of sin is death. But the truth is, is that something did die inside me. A little piece of my fear of God died. A little piece of my um, restraint 
died. A little piece of my conscience that said, hey, maybe that's not a good idea, died. So the voice dulled and got quieter and my the Holy Spirit speaking to me was pushed further and further away because I was separating myself from God. And then it became easier and easier to sin. And as it became easier and easier to sin, I started suffering really severe consequences. And when I was suffering those consequences, I was looking back on the behavior. This is the biggest lie that the devil will ever perpetrate, is the reason you're suffering consequences from sin is because you didn't do it right. If, if you tried a different drug, it would be better. If you drank with a different group of friends, it wouldn't turn out tragic. If you hung out with a different person, if you had a different boyfriend or girlfriend, then all of a sudden things would be happy because the reason you're unhappy is because that person wasn't right for you. You just have to find the right person, right? If you just try again, everything will work out. That's a lie. If you just do it God's way, everything will work out. But if you keep trying to do it your way, the way the children of Israel did here, they're like, don't worry, we got this. We're just going to go take the land anyway, even though we know God's not with us. And even though God said, nope, you're all going to die. No, 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 God, it's okay. Don't worry, we'll just go take the land ourselves. And they couldn't. It's natural consequences. They're still in rebellion. They're still in rebellion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know still, exactly. yeah. it's still a rebellious heart. And you know what? Yesterday, Pastor Steve, uh, he did the 40-day fasting um, video, and he talked about conviction and then that leading to repentance, right? So when it says that they went up and mourned, right, it's kind of like they were convicted because they're like, oh, snap, you know, <laughs> this is real, you know, but they weren't really repented of what they had done, right? It's kind of like they were going to, they thought that by them going up and crying, right? Even Moses said, hey, this isn't going to work, right? But they themselves thought, no, we can manipulate the, you know, we can serve in God's will, if I may, in our own way, right? Uh, with our own purpose. So they were convicted of their sin, right? Like many people are, you get convicted, you come to church or, you know, you, you, whatever, and you're convicted, you're just like, man, you know, what I, that's what religion is. That's what rebellion is, is, you know, it's like you go, you, you, you know, people are Catholic, they go, they confess, you know, and then they leave and then they do the same thing they just repented for or they confessed mm -hmm. for, right? They were convicted, I feel bad, but I don't feel bad to the point where I'm going to literally repent and do a 180 on my old life and actually live for God. Yeah. So, I think kind of long and short of it is, is, we are supposed to learn the lesson. Learn the lesson from the lesson. Yeah. But you have to learn the lesson from the lesson at the right time. If it takes too long to learn the lesson, you haven't learned the lesson. Here's a very long story to illustrate that point. Everybody's favorite <laughs> Mexican revolutionary, General Pancho Villa. So he won all of his battles by like head-on charges with horse cavalry. All that, right? And they would the just... Locks and sticks. Yeah, well, they had, they had American guns, <laughs> so they would overwhelm everyone. <laughs> but there was this other general named Obregón who was studied, was actually a student of war, and World War One had just broken out, been going on for about six months. So he had about six months of battles to study, and oh yeah, the Americans were giving him artillery pieces and weapons and stuff. So what he did is he began As to dig. We are want to do. <laughs> he began to dig <laughs> trenches and barbed wire, and he had machine guns. So he was using new tactics with new weapons, and then here comes Pancho Villa. All right, using old tactics with old weapons. Speedy Gonzalez. Speedy Gonzalez, sorry. And he, he charges <laughs> into these World War he charges into World War One trenches with his horses, but he does it forty times at night and he's obliterated. He didn't learn. Eventually he changed his tactics, but it was too late. So he learned the lesson like months later. But his army, the the division of the north was already obliterated. So these guys learned their lesson but it was just a little bit too late. And then they go and they do this. And that reminds me a lot of me, where it's like, okay, God, I get it. I'm, I'm a knucklehead. All right, <laughs> I'll do the right thing. Well, sorry, it's the wrong day. It's tomorrow. I was telling you to do this yesterday. 
Today, that doesn't work. You learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. So you do the right thing at the wrong time. It's still the wrong thing. So that's the takeaway. This is a, a super, super tragic story. You take when they finally go into the, the land. When does that happen? As soon as Moses dies. 40 years later. Yeah. So Moses is 40, kills an Egyptian. 40 years after that, burning bush. 40 years after that, he's dead. So his life is chopped up into sections of 40. And all of these 40-year sequences have all of these life-altering lessons and, and things that, uh, you know, we're talking about 40 giorni, like space of 40, quarantine. We're talking about learning from 40, right? But this is, these are some hard lessons that the number 40 is teaching us. I mean, just one thing I, I want to say is, you know, the amount of casualties that happen during one's rebellion. You're never going to know, you know, the casualties that your rebellion caused yeah. in this world, in this life, right? Yeah. Will you make it there by the grace of God, right? But if you would have only listened, you know, yesterday when God put it in your heart, so, you know, spiritually speaking or even physically speaking, right? Uh, I know buddies, well, not necessarily buddies, but acquaintances that, you know, are no, they're in eternity, right? And if only, right, I would have heard God's voice or, or, or listened to God's voice even when I was in the wilderness, mm -hmm. right? Because God never, I left God and I turned my back on God, but God never left me. He never turned his back on me, yeah. right? And even in, you know, I'm, I know I'm not the only one in this table that's done acid, right? But even in my acid trips, I remember... You know, no, I was, I was, yeah, see, yeah, and, and I know Pastor Corey has, but I remember, I remember talking not to recently. my, I remember, I remember talking to my mom on the phone and my mom was, was witnessing saved. to me while I was, while I was, you know, uh, frying, right? And I was like, my, and I, and I remember those conversations and I'm just like, man, if only, you know, again, through God's grace, but we'll never know the casualties, right? That happened during those times, so. Yeah, it's it's always an interesting exercise when you're looking at these these uh, passages in the Old Testament to kind of be like, okay, like where, how does this point towards Jesus? Yeah. Um, and like, if you're not reading your Bible, especially the Old Testament, and you're not looking for those hints, then you're doing it wrong yeah. because the whole point <laughs> of all of those lines is Jesus. Jesus. Yes. It's all Jesus. And so. Um, just recently just read Acts um, chapter 7, which is the trial of Stephen. And he uses the rejection of the children of Israel. We're talking about not learning from mistakes, you know, like, you know, Panchavia <laughs> charged 40 times. The children of Israel, Stephen chronicles their rejection of the word of God yeah. and God's prophets and God's chosen men. He just lays it all out for them. All these people yeah, who are scholars. That guilt on them. Exactly. And yeah. then he says, you know what? Just like you rejected Moses, although all the signs and wonders were there, you have rejected Jesus. Yeah. And so we see all of these examples in the Old Testament of just the children of Israel. No, we're going to reject this. They've seen the wonders. They've seen yeah. the power, the amazing change that can happen when God intervenes taking them from slavery into freedom and they reject it. How and many plagues was involved with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so then you look down the line and all of these scriptures, they all point to Jesus because yeah. the children of Israel once again have rejected God's holy lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, the one who came to seek and save them. There's the ones that have rejected him just like they rejected Moses in this scripture just like they rejected yeah. all of the prophets, we see this over and over again. And so when you reject God's plan, which is the law or the prophets or the Messiah, what are we left with? I think that it points to the scripture in Romans when it says that since they refused to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Yeah. Right? And what is a reprobate mind? Right? You, you, you can talk about, uh, you know, when you stand before God in judgment day and say, God, but I cast out demons in your name, right? I, oh, I well, prayed for the on. sick. I, I have a whole other thing you know? about that. <laughs> yeah. uh -oh. no, well, I for the sake of this thing. argument, um, you, you know, that could be a, for the sake of an argument. Uh, well, not, I don't think I'm twisting scripture. I think, I mean, 
it, I think there's a, you, a very important key in that mm -hmm. scripture. Okay, so uh, let's discuss not, it. Then I want to know. Well, it says, it says not, <laughs> not, not, not this whole podcast just it. to get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here, here's the thing. There's a very key element there, and I think that that every kid who goes to church should understand this. Really, Jesus says, "Not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will come into the kingdom." Okay, but my children, right? Then he says, "There will be those who say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we do all these things? That's a royal we. That's a plural word. Yeah. Didn't our church do this? And he says what? Not, I didn't know all of you. He says, I didn't know you. Yeah. What did you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's so. Yeah. It's like you take credit. Broad... It's like when you say you take credit for, hey, we did this. No, wait yeah. a minute. We didn't do this. Yeah. So that's, you know, I just don't. You're want... the one that didn't, you know, work on the project. We did. You know. Yeah. I, I, I just so, exactly. Yeah, I, I yeah. just I just don't want want there to be a misunderstanding. Hey, didn't I cast out yeah, demons yeah. in your name? Yeah. Well, I never knew you. No, yeah. that's not true. Okay. Yeah. If you cast out demons, you know Jesus. Yeah. Right. No, I wasn't implying that it was just one. Because the tried yeah. to cast out demons without. Knowing Jesus and yeah. ended up broken, bleeding, and naked. Mm -hmm. Well, just yeah. to throw gas on the fire. I mean, <laughs> yes, amen. Yes. Yeah. There's I a dude. Break out my blue soapbox. I have something to say. <laughs> there, there's a dude that we all know that did cast out demons. For, pretty sure. Pretty sure he healed the sick. Pretty sure he preached Jesus. Pretty sure he talked to Jesus. Judas. Pretty sure he's in hell. Yeah, our boy Judy. I mean, <laughs> so, so I mean. One decision. One decision. Mm -hmm. So decisions at certain points, lessons not learned. Him yeah. and Peter went through the same thing at the yeah, same time. Exactly. So one died, one cried. Shout out Vision. Um, um, I have one thing to say before we move on. Just so to, to those who've maybe found yourself, you've rejected God. You didn't pass the test. Mm. And the important thing is, I think from here, is that they, they wanted to go into the promised land. They, they knew that was God's original commandment. And I'd even say they'd wanted the prize, mm -hmm. the cake. You know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, they wanted that. And that it was like, cake. and, and um, the Lord said, I'm headed into the wilderness. And I just, the phrase popped into my head, Lord, I want to be where you are. Hmm. And it's like, they didn't want to be where God was at. Got the Ark of the Covenant. Moses stayed behind. And so if you're uh, like, some of those first steps toward repentance is, you know what, God, I don't want to, um, all the rewards. I just want you. Good. I want to yes. be with yeah. you. Yeah. And so it's like, if you're headed into the wilderness for the next 40 years and that's where I'm going to have to be, then that's where I want to be. That's what I want to be with you. And so it's like the children of Israel didn't want that. They're like, no, we're going to go take the land. We're going to do it. And so that... Just repenting, you've made your first bad mistake. The next, the the good thing you can do is just, you know what, God, I need to be in your presence. I need to be with you. I think the, the thing that's, you know, stuck out the most to me, and we mentioned it a couple times, is decision, right? One decision, um, I think, you know, when you talk about my personal life and other people's personal lives, when you, when you go into sin, you didn't become an addict from one day to the other, right? You, it was one decision that you made one day, another decision that you made the other day that eventually got you to the point when, where you looked up, right? And you were in such a deep hole in sin, in addiction, in perversion, in whatever you found yourself in. And it was one decision at a time, right? But when it comes to decisions, when you make a decision to acknowledge that you need Christ in your life, that one decision is able to not necessarily outdo all the decisions you've done in your past, but through that one decision, you can come out of that hole, right? That decision, one decision that afternoon, everything that Pastor Gabe talked about, they lost everything with that one decision that afternoon, right? And if you're hearing this, yes, you have years, decades maybe of wrong decisions and you find yourself trapped in sin, enslaved in sin, whether if it's addiction to any type of drugs, whether if it's addiction to pornography, right? We're talking to young people here, 
uh, you know, even though, you know, it happens to older folk as well, right? Whether you're married or you're not married, it happens to you as well. But you find yourself bound to sin, to addiction, to pornography. One decision can change that forever. One decision can set you free. Now, it doesn't mean that your life is going to go, you know, uh, you know, from what it is right now and everything's you're going to wake up tomorrow and, you know, unicorns and rainbows. No, right? But God can bring peace into your life. He can bring true deliverance into your life to where you can enter that promised land. You can enter into the purpose that God has for you. And if you're hearing this podcast and you find yourself in a deep hole, if you find yourself bound by sin, I want to tell you that there is hope. That there is hope that God can bring you out of this and he will bring you out of this. But it's, it takes a decision. And that decision is to say, you know what, God? I've tried it on my own. I've done things the way that I want to do them. But tonight I'm going to decide to turn my eyes to you. I'm going to decide to turn my heart to you. And I just want to lead you in a prayer. And uh, if you want to, if you repeat after me, you say, Heavenly Father, I come before you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I confess that I am a sinner. But I know that you died on the cross for my sin and on the third day you rose from the dead and you conquered death for me this evening I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior wash me cleanse me with your blood I thank you and I pray this in the name of your son Jesus amen all right, guys, so that was this episode of Everything Under the Sun. We were chasing the number 40. Um, hopefully you have stayed safe and out of harm's way, and hopefully we don't have to talk about the number 40 for very long after this, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see you in our next episode. God bless. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you liked about the episode and what you'd like to hear in future recordings. We'll see you next time. God bless.